2: theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. Today is February 7th, 2022.
0: Darian Douglas, how are you? What up, everybody? Hey, y'all. You would think Greg would know how show business works, but he doesn't, man. You know, I I know y'all probably heard him in the background. We in the same house tonight. You probably can't. For the first time ever, we're doing The Working Artist Project in the same room. He's right behind me.
3: First of all, I'd just like to say, I do know the, the way show business works and there is a mute button.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? I'm using your interface and my interface at home doesn't have a mute button, which is which a is complete tragedy. Well, to bring this full circle
3: back to what you said to our guest, our esteemed guest, uh, you don't know how to use Zoom? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, if I mute my Zoom while the video is playing, the sound doesn't go through. So, anyway, y'all, listen. Like I said, Greg don't know how to use <laughs> technology. I'm the greatest thing ever, and we got we got one of Greg's best friends tonight on the show, Jake Saslow, and I'm gonna let Greg tell y'all more about him. Yeah, well,
3: first of all, I just want to say that it's a pleasure to have Darian Douglas at, in the house here. Like he's literally in my house, and this is the first time I've seen Darian in two and a half years or so due to uh, the COVID situation and circumstances. So I'm glad to have you here in New Orleans. Um, Also, I want to take this opportunity to pump or promote our camp. We have our 2022 Sanaa Music Workshop coming up this June. I believe it's June 7th through the 17th. 17th. 6th
0: through the 17th.
3: 6th through the 17th, pardon me. And we have a fantastic guest artist, Mr. Marquise Hill, will be coming down from Chicago to join us and working with our students and uh, we are currently also booking some more fantastic guests to round out this uh, educational experience. So if you do know any young people between the ages of 14 and 21, interested in uh, pursuing a, a career in music and the arts, please send them our way to secondlinearts.org. All right, now I'm gonna introduce our guest, pardon me. So we have, we have a fantastic saxophone player, musician, and uh, one of my best friends, in the house tonight and i'm really excited to have an opportunity to sit down and talk to this guy you know even before i knew him i spent a lot of time admiring his musicianship so i'm really excited to have an opportunity to talk to him and and figure out uh what's going on in his life and and how he got to this point so ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the working artist project mr jake saslow what's
2: up guys (laughs) thanks for having me (laughs) Hey Jake, my what's man. Up? <laughs> My
0: man. Jake, what's good, man? <laughs> Nothing much. It's been a while since I saw you, Darian. I don't really know. See you it's been you it look like you in a library somewhere, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. my uh my home studio putting up these things I only got halfway done, so. <laughs> okay. Cool,
0: cool. That's what's up.
3: <laughs> well, you know, not to throw everyone's shit out there, but the, both you and Jake are new homeowners, so I see Jake, he's got his studio happening. Hey, <laughs>
0: congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Hey, you're right, bro. Hey, yeah, I bought a house over in West Orange, New Jersey. So I'm I'm way in the suburbs. You know, I got a kid and stuff now. So I'm not as cool. I'm sure you live in Brooklyn in the brownstone or something. You know what I'm saying?
2: Oh man, I am I'm even like less cool than you in the <laughs> suburbs of Salt Lake City, Utah, my friend. Oh <laughs> shoot. All right.
0: Cool. That's what's up. Man, you remember this game? back it, it, this is, you know, we old. So this is back on PlayStation One. And like it was a racing game, and you would race through the mountains of Salt Lake City. You know, you remember? I don't know what it's called. You could like punch people on a bike and stuff. Did y'all play that game? (laughs) (laughs) That's all I know. I've never been out there in real life, but that's USA. (laughs) (laughs) It was a dope game, man. Jake, what what you been up to, man?
2: Um, been living out here, just just playing. Um, Greg and I have been doing, uh, some, some music tour in the past few years, which has been awesome. And, um, just trying to get more in touch with nature out here, playing music and, and doing some fishing and stuff like that. Trying to learn how to ski, trying to get, trying to get a nice little life balance happening.
3: And that's okay. So just so everyone, we, we can actually, we should probably dig into this for just a moment, but y'all Jake is an actual New Yorker. Like Jake is, he's one of those cats who was living in New York that was actually from new york so for, i've known jake as a new yorker my entire life and i believe how long you've been in, in salt lake city these days
2: uh almost two years now what yeah i know jesus Wow. two years in in next month so how how does it feel to be out of the city
3: and like what how how has your life changed in in the last list last two years
2: yeah i mean well first of all i grew up um, on long island you know the suburbs of the city so I'm not, I'm not a you know a New Yorker, New Yorker, but you know Long Island suburbs. Um, but yeah, I was living in the city for I guess over a decade, and then uh, pandemic hit, and worried about being like stuck in my tiny, tiny apartment for who knows how long. So came out here for a little bit just to get some fresh air and kind of see how things unfolded, and really fell in love with it and decided to stay. And it's been dope. Yeah, that's what's up. I'm trying to get
0: you to come out and visit. Darren, man, you should come out too. Hey, don't invite me, dog. I'll come live with you. Ask Greg, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you know, you mentioned the, the, you know, the living in New York during the pandemic and, and, and not wanting to be there. Cause it's a, it's a funny thing that happens in New York. I don't know if, I'm, I'm assuming you were in the city uh, at this time because you can't really get out if you need to get out because we rely so much on public transportation. And, and, like, even if you have a car, you probably remember this uh, um, during the World Trade Center, like, everything shuts down. No one in, no one out. And, and you're just in there, stuck, man. And can you talk about how that feels and how you felt during the pandemic a, a little more in depth? And now that you're free in the mountains, running around naked in the snow?
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, I was thinking about that. Um, you know i was uh i guess uh just started my my sophomore year i'm in high school of music when uh 11 911 happened and yeah it was crazy uh, no public transportation people were just trying to get out of the city just walking you know walking forever all the way you know miles up broadway across the george w- gw bridge um yeah that was definitely on my mind um i didn't know what to expect you know i was definitely a little a little scared of just being stuck with no way to get out or whatever so I was looking at it like that, you know, when you're watching, that, uh, watching a horror movie, there's always that scene in a horror movie where you're like yelling, like, run, run, run. They don't run. They never run. They never run. So I was like, this is like that scene, man. I'm just going to get out of here for a little bit see what happens. What? Bro, my, my wife,
0: all, you know, she's a New Yorker too. She grew up in Brooklyn. And so uh, during 9-11, you know, she was prepared to walk. She was in Manhattan. So she was trying to walk from Manhattan to Canarsie. And you're a real New Yorker, so you know how fucking far that is. <laughs> it's like, you know, but there was no choice. She was just like, well, I got to walk from Manhattan to Canarsie right now, you know. And the pandemic was especially scary because no one knew anything. And we're all trapped in those small, tiny boxes with 30 billion people all around us, everybody getting sick and dying and ambulances. and So this is real stressful, man. I'm glad you got up out of here, man. So were you in West Orange the whole time or did or is that a recent move? No, we we were actually in Jersey City um, for the majority of the for all the pandemic, the the first two years. And we we just bought a house um a few weeks, a few months ago. In November, we bought the house. So but
2: great. And don't even get
0: me started on this fucking house, man. Like we haven't lived there yet. So it's a lot of everything, Maslow's law, right? is that the one which one is it that everything goes wrong maslow is the the need I, I feel like today we should call it Sazlow's law just okay Sas- <laughs> it's not maslow but okay we changing up it's saslow's law everything fucking went wrong jake yeah <laughs> i hope your house journey doesn't go like my let me tell you uh friday a guy crashed his car in my yard into my neighbor's house so that's that's oh. the life i'm living right now okay <laughs> i was expecting that yeah. Right. <laughs> but but anyway, so you out here making music and is, is there music to be made out there or are there people?
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's a smaller scene, but, um, but with that, there's is, uh, you know, a lot of warmth and, com- um, you know, camaraderie and there's some, there's some really nice players out here. So, so, so I'm man- enjoying it.
3: What was what was the transition like? Because I mean, again, you know, you were pretty steeped into the the New Orleans, or the the New York scene, and so transitioning to Salt Lake City, especially at a time of COVID, like, what was the uh, process like of kind of like in you know becoming acquainted with a new scene and a, a new group of people?
2: Yeah, I mean, it took some time just because you know everyone you know we we're all just uh, everyone was quarantined and stuff like that. But, um, I found everyone to be really, uh, warm and welcoming and inviting. And, um, it was just, it was really great, really good feeling. So trying to, uh, you know, just give that back as well, which is, which is very refreshing. You know, I mean, the New York scene is amazing, but also ruthless and, you know, everything that comes with the, you know, the, the, the best and biggest jazz scene in the world. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of refreshing to to be a part of a, a smaller um, music scene.
3: Do you find yourself still like being artistically challenged in the same way, or like how 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 have you again like as an artist adjusted to being again in like maybe a smaller scene coming from New York, which is such an iconic place to be a jazz musician?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think if you if you can bring that New York mindset and that New York mentality. Um, with you somewhere else, then, you know, then it's really an amazing and inspiring kind of way to live. But yeah, if you live New York, you know, if you live that scene, you know, Darian, you know, I'm talking about, it's just inspiring. You You feel like you're just growing as a, as a musician, just, you know, just walking down the street, just, you know, running your errands or whatever. It just like, it feeds, you know, the city just has that energy. So if you can if you can uh, you know channel that and bottle that up and bring that with you and keep that uh, that fire it's it's harder because you need to have that that fire inside you you know New York you have no choice because everyone's just uh, everyone's got the fire and you can't you can't escape it right man in New York you hear a motherfucker you walking down the street
0: you hear a motherfuckers playing a brunch gig sounding like you know the, the the best musicians you ever heard in your life and you're just like what the fuck is happening dude this is crazy oh. <laughs> You know, it's like, is that Kirk Whalen playing a brunch gig or yeah, is, is, is that John Con- Coltrane on a brunch gig? The fuck going on? I, you know, it, yeah, it's it's nuts, man. But I'm I'm from Mississippi originally, so I know exactly what you mean. you got to bring that focus and intention to to wherever you are. I think the part that gets hard is when you're not surrounded by thousands or hundreds of other musicians who are on that same journey you know, it, it can get, it can get tough, but it's also liberating to not be around that energy all the time because you can also get very dark in a place like New York and not feel like you have an opportunity to, to play. Even if you're, you know, i always tell Greg, like being in New York is like being in the NBA. You know what I mean? It's like, you're in the top 1% of all the musicians in the world. Like you're it like, but in that 1%, there's a 1%, you know? And so there's only like three Kobe's, but the rest of us, we bad as shit too. Like we, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like Robert Ori, hey, he was really good too, but he wasn't Kobe. You see what I'm saying? That's that's what
2: I feel like New York is. Man. Um, yeah, you gotta have the, you gotta have that positive mindset too, because you know some guys it can just be overwhelming. It, you know, guys can you know get dark and and want to just because it's so uh, so competitive. But if you keep that positive outlook, then it's the most inspiring musical place in the world for sure.
3: So, as a, as a New Yorker, I mean, again, you're from, I know you're from Long Island. I'm from New Orleans, but I'm really from Kenner. So, <laughs> it's like, I feel like it's
2: kind of the same thing, you know? Um, <laughs> who else is in your house, man? Everyone's la- I hear people laughing at you in the background. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's Darian. Like, I'm Darian <laughs> <sitting> over here. <laughs>
3: Jake, Jake, come on. We have a live studio audience. This is a big
2: production.
1: Okay, a live
2: studio. Nice, nice.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: but yeah, like as a New Yorker growing up in the scene, like, were you aware of the fact that like you were actually growing up kind of in the center of the jazz world? Was that something in your consciousness? Or was it just maybe as you got older and went to college in Manhattan School that maybe you saw the greatness of where you were?
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I guess... New York is crazy in so many ways, but if you're you spend enough time there, it becomes kind of normal. Like and just you know, just quality of life and the way you live life and everything. It's a crazy way to live life. But you live there long enough and you you think it's just normal, just how regular people live. So musically, yeah, I guess I guess growing up, uh, you know, in high school, um, me and my buddies we used to go into the city like all the time just to check out music. Um, the Mingus Big Band when they were playing at the Fez, that was the hang. We used to go in all the time and check them out. And that was so inspiring. And just, you know, going to like the village Vanguard and stuff like that, and going to these venues um, in high school was pretty cool. I don't think I realized how unique of an opportunity that was at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you
0: uh, like? What excites you the most in life?
2: Uh, You know, just being invited to, on my buddy's podcast <laughs> that really gets me going in the morning <laughs> oh really but like what what is it do you think that brings you the most joy oh i don't know it's a good question um i love music i you know i still genuinely love music which is pretty cool which is pretty cool um you know that's i mean that's that's a pretty cool feeling to have about like your job and what you do for for work after doing it for many many years to just think about how much you still love it yeah and yeah still be, you know i've been i've been uh playing a lot of classical saxophone lately and that's been bringing me all this this new joy just like getting deeper into that than i ever have before just just approaching the saxophone from a totally you know different angle music from a totally different angle um it's just like never ending like you know, uh, outlet of knowledge. You know, there's always more to learn, which is really, really cool.
0: See, man. You know, me and music. We have this funny relationship where 72.3 percent of the time I'm in love with it, and then the rest of my life I fucking hate it. And I'm <laughs> trying to figure out how to, you know, to live in a world where maybe I don't play music all the time. You know, because for me, it was which I always and I tell Greg this is interesting, like like I, I felt like I loved music more when I was younger. I still love it now, but I loved it more then. Like I found other things that I, I like to do and and especially in a pandemic, I was like, oh, there's some other, you know, parts of creative create creatively that I can like exercise. And it kind of pulls those strings that music used to pull for me. You know. I like
2: that. I like that. Yeah. Uh balance is like. Life balance is just so important and so hard, especially as a musician. Um, I feel like I've been achieving a better life balance since I've been living out here. Uh, just more opportunity to to explore nature, go hiking, uh, go fishing, that sort of stuff. It's a really nice balance to have with music. You like a bear grills, motherfucker.
0: You like you out there with your camera and shit you know, this teaching people how to survive is like, yeah, I'm going to wrestle this bear motherfucker. And I'm going to put my saxophone in and put this snake to
2: sleep and shit. That's what you be doing. Oh, no, nah, man. I'm, I'm like a city boy. I feel I'm so out of place out here. There's nature stuff out here is a different, it's a different, uh, different level. It's actually kind of dangerous. Some of this stuff, you can't just be wandering around, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I had this crazy beard going. It was really disgusting. We we're trying to like really embrace this mountain life. And yeah, it was really, really gross. So I shaved it, you know, for the podcast, of course. Yeah.
3: <laughs> did you really shave for the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, just, I got to say, you, you you got a great beard, man. When we were on the road,
2: whenever it wasn't, you had a beard. It was, it was happening. Uh, we did, um we did this, uh, uh, Eight horn private with uh Boo Boy um a couple weeks ago. And uh he, he called me uh, Fidel Castro after I took a solo and he's like Fidel Castro and I was like, Yeah, all right, yeah, this is time it's time to, it's time to get rid of this thing. <laughs> wow, it's not throwing anyone under the bus or anything. <laughs> but you know, you got a good look with that mustache, man.
1: You're you still know.
2: you're still rocking that. it's, it's good. I I what was was there a, like a South Park
3: episode, the pandemic special or something like that, where like everyone got mustaches. <laughs> they would they would smoke the pandemic special, and they'd all grow mustaches.
0: <laughs> that's pretty. Much how, how how long you been on the bubbly gig, man? Huh? Who me? Yeah, the bubbly gig. He is he okay with me calling him bubbly? We friends <laughs> over eleven years now. Eleven. Yeah. Wow. That's, 11 like a, that's like a marriage, bro. It's a long time. Yeah, how did you keep the gig? Why didn't you get fired? It's a great question. I don't know.
3: Wait, I'll you know, start from the top. How, how did you? How did you even get the gig? Because I mean, for, for for those of you who are not familiar with Jake's like origin story, um, you know, just just Jake is one of the most accomplished musicians I've ever met in my life, and he participated in some of the the most prestigious, uh, you know, academic. Adventures you can you can participate in as a, as a musician, and so how, how did you make that transition from like the Monk Institute into an organization like the Buble thing?
2: Um, yeah, good question. You know, I want to ask you. You know, you you, you ever talked about how you got the Buble gig, Greg? day uh, dude, I, I'm very. I, I want. Let me say, if I, I can, you, nah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got that yourself, man um well you you looked it up and i kept it (laughs) you know that i mean that's actually like what is this what is this podcast working artist project yeah i mean you know when when the last tour expanded from eight horns to a full big band um you know my first thought was to throw your name in the ring it's like greg would be you know perfect for the gig great tenor player great clarinet player great hang good friend you know great person to be on be on the road with and um I think originally the plan was to kind of have some different people for some different regions, you know, like have some people do some U.S. runs and have some people do some European runs or whatever. But um, well, you were going to be the first call from the start, and the musical director, Alan, um, I guess, called you up, and um, and he called me, called me after he got the phone with you, and he's like, "Yeah, Greg, I just talked to Greg. He's great. I just, I just uh, asked me if you want to do the whole tour." <laughs> so I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what you said to him, but. <laughs>
3: in all honesty i don't know what i said to him too but it was a great phone call (laughs) apparently yeah but how how did so how did how did you get originally hooked up into the band because because when you when you started you were part of the there was like a nine piece horn section and only one tenor player at that point
2: yeah i mean i think the original incarnation was maybe even just like four horns or something and um and then expanded to eight and I guess uh you know the original tenor player from the beginning um when he left, it was kind of random. um I think I was doing a, i was I was at fat cat uh for like a jam session, I was just hanging just like fat cat jam session one night, and uh um one of the one of the guys in the band, Bluebla band was hanging too, and we were catching up, and you know he just i guess casually mentioned that there might be you know an opening or stuff like that, and you know I was, right away i was like man i would absolutely love to opportunity to do that gig and um and then you know one thing led to another and i got a call to to uh you know do it one one run when it's like a european run or something it's like a trial thing and then everything went from there but it's a great um you know talk about like uh like uh working professional kind of like lesson you know like gigs come when they when you least expect it And always be prepared for, you know, for anything, you know, because, you know, I mean, maybe if I didn't go out to that jam session at Fat Cat, I never would have even realized that it would have been a a possibility. So, you know, the thing with that is like out of sight, out of mind, right? You you, you know, I don't care if you're the best tenor player in the world. If if you're never out there and putting yourself out there and there's no visibility and you're just shedding, you know, in your, in your room all the time, you know, you, you might miss out on some work. I don't know. And, you know,
0: it's interesting that you mentioned this whole thing about timing, you know, it's like, uh, I I think, I I think about this kind of like about with my wife, you know, like I had a bunch of decisions and and a bunch of kind of people floating in and out of my life and I had to make, okay, am I going to make a right turn, a left turn or go straight in like one decision, like you decided to go to fat cat altered your entire life and and it's crazy to think that every day we do that you know it's like if i decide to go the back way i could get into a car accident or i could find a pile of money under the, the rainbow you know you just never know and and that's kind of what you did you 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 so go to fat cat there was an opportunity and you were prepared for it and uh I, like that's that's huge and people got to really like especially young musicians or people in, in, in any industry you just got to be ready for the opportunities when they do arise and and that's what what you you did right
2: at, at that moment yeah i guess but um you know looking back on it i mean i definitely you know i probably missed out on a lot of stuff too like you know like I've learned, i learned was constantly learning from that you know like I was, I don't think I was ever the best at really putting myself out there and really kind of trying to get that visibility and stuff like that. You know, especially when I was younger, I was definitely on the shy, you know, pretty shy, maybe, you know, not always up to going out to the sessions and hanging and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you, you, you always learn as you go along, you know, the mistakes you make are just as important if you learn from them.
3: Right. Yeah. I like that. You got to learn from them. Um, you know, I guess getting a gig is is the first part of any opportunity and, and it i mean i don't know if it's the hardest part but it's definitely a challenge in and of itself but i think that the second half of that equation is keeping the gig and so i was wondering if you could speak on again like having been part of the band for 11 years which is quite an accomplishment if you could speak on maybe like advice for young musicians and cats coming up on how to, when you do get a good opportunity, how to not fuck it up.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, that, yeah, important stuff to talk about, right? Um, because you got to be a great musician. That's just like a given, right? But then there's other stuff. There's a lot of other stuff that gets, that gets into play too. Um, so we're definitely not like minimizing musicianship. That is absolutely still the core foundational, most essential piece. But we're just going to assume that you have that you're a great musician because that's you're not going to be in this conversation if you if you haven't put in the hours and the dedication and to your craft, right? And then everything else comes into play. That was actually really fascinating. You know, when I was down in New Orleans doing the, the Thelonious Monk Institute, you know, where we first met, um, you know, these absolute world class musicians would come down to like you know work with us for a week, and they were just talking about like. Being on time and stuff like that, you know, not being late to rehearsals. Like Benny Golson came down and he was just like handed us his essay he wrote on punctuality, and you know, Ron Carter came down and he was just talking about being on time, how, how important it is. And those guys were professionals, you know, they're working professionals, and. That stuff is so important. Ron Carter was talking to us about how important it is to tape your music properly, you know, like, you know, not being in a session and just like fumbling through like, you know, pages and pages blowing off your stand and stuff really funny at the time. I was like, man, can we, can we talk, can we get a little talk? Let's talk about music. But then you look back on it as you start working more and you're like, yeah, okay. That, that's really foundational and important stuff. Bro,
0: I would say 99.5% of all the gigs that I haven't kept is because I'm on time every time. I'm so on time. If I'm not on time, I'm dead. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like motherfuckers is like, yo, Darren is late. Did he get into a, a car accident?
2: Did some You know, did something major must have happened. You know? How important is that? I mean, yeah. Darren, let's call Darren. He's going to be there. He's going to be early. He's going to be ready to go. Like, and that's another thing. It's not just being on time, being early. You know, if you're on time, what's that? That's so cliche. If you're on time, you're already late. But it's so there's there's some truth to it. You know, being on time is actually being early. Um, and that's so important, especially, like, as, as a band leader. There's so much stuff you got to deal with. It's, it's you know, as far as just, like, you know, booking the gigs, dealing with all that other stuff that's not even about the music. So the last thing you want to be worrying about on top of that is, like, you know, like, the guys are going to show up on time and all this sort of stuff. So... Yeah, that, it goes a long way knowing that hey uh, yeah, your drummer's going to be there. He's going to be there early. You know, downbeats at eight. He's going to be ready at eight. You know,
3: I think that's a challenging thing for young musicians to internalize, especially like when just coming out of school, when the only experience you have with music and 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 like again, the industry is is through high school, college, and maybe a master's program or something. And let's say you're the the best cat in your program. You know, if you're five minutes late, I'm sure the teacher's going to fuss at you. But if everyone else is really sad, you know, the, the red carpet kind of gets rolled out for you a little bit. But what's, what's hard for young musicians to understand, too, is that like when you leave school, there's literally like a hundred of you who are just as good, if not better. And then those like little details like, hey, are you on time? Uh, did you tape your music? did you take a shower last night? Like, are you an asshole? (laughs) You know, all those little like intangible things that maybe don't seem like a big deal at first. Like those to me, like those are the things that are actually really important when you're, when you're doing a gig that's like, again, like, I think you told me this too, like when you initially had the conversation about wanting to do bootleg gig, you're like, look, you know, it's not the most challenging music in the world. But, you know, the gig is a 24-hour gig. It's not just an hour and a half.
2: <laughs> um, and, you know, the, mu- the music is, is challenging in its own way. It's good music. It's good charts, and it's a great horn section. So you can, you can choose to make it challenging, or you can choose not to. And life, you know, is, is, is more enjoyable to, to make it challenging. There's always ways to grow, like um, playing in a big band section, phrasing, intonation, articulation, all that sort of stuff. So it, it is a fun, it's a really fun and challenging uh, book to play. But yeah, the gig, it's, it's a, you know, you're constantly, that's one thing. Can you play the gig? But can you play the gig after, you know, driving 11 hours overnight, you know, on a bus, you know, trying to get some sleep in your bunk, you know, and then, uh, and then, being jet lagged and time changes and all that stuff and, and still, you know, showing up and and nailing the book for two hours. So um, so
0: the two of y'all are experiencing something that uh, most uh, quote unquote jazz musicians won't experience because uh, you guys are playing arenas. So you guys are like jazz rock stars, you know, most jazz musicians play to five people you guys you guys get to play to tens of thousands of people every night you know what what is it like to be rich i don't know man <laughs> no really like you know you're making you're making good money playing this music and it's rare what what's that like what, do you feel like there's a responsibility do you feel guilty how, how does that feel
3: Greg, how do you feel? Man, that's that's a tough one. I mean, um, I mean, honestly, I feel very blessed. You know, I, I I try to I try very much to not take my opportunity for granted. You know, I definitely remember. I mean, it's funny. Like I think when we were in Australia, and I tried to tell myself, no, you know, you were mentioning again being tired and cranky, and I mean, you know, I mean, just I, I try to. I, when people ask me how I enjoy the Buble gig, I mean, I love the gig. I'm so grateful to be on it, but you know, I try to be honest too. And like, in the sense that like it, it does have its challenges, you know, like some days are hard, some days, you know, and again with the travel and just the, the lifestyle associated with being on the road, it, it does get challenging. But when I was in Australia, I just remember like every night looking out into the audience and just being like, Holy shit, this is so cool. Like and to all the things that you say, man, like, like, turning to my right and getting to play with someone like tim green or jacob rodriguez yourself rob wilkerson like all the cats are are just like phenomenal musicians and to play in a section and it's tight it sounds good to have a leader like michael who is like one of the you know probably one of the greatest entertainers of all time and musicians also and i i think it's I feel very, I feel very blessed. I feel very honored that it could be anyone and it just so happens that it's me. You know, it's, that's kind of the way I try to approach
2: it. Yeah. It's all about that attitude of gratitude. (laughs) For real, for real. You know, you can, you can be completely jet lagged, uh, you know, three weeks in, you know, where you're sleeping on the, on the the bus bunk every night and completely exhausted. But, uh, then just, you know, take a moment to appreciate how, how amazing it is. And that's what it's all about. So yeah, my thing is like every show, you know, we play with those in-ears, you know, uh the in-ear monitors because you're in this, you know, space down in this arena and stuff. And if you don't have the in-ear monitors, you can't hear anything. Um, but sometimes, you know, the in-ears, they block out a lot of the sound too. So my thing is I, I like to take a moment like every show, take out the ears and just like be present and just soak it in and just kind of just like hear the crowd and just kind of look around and really. Be mindful of the moment and and appreciate it. So that's kind of like my one thing. Every show, take a take a minute to pause and kind of soak it in.
0: Jake, cats are in the the comments and they they want to know if you get nervous, man. You know, all those beautiful women and uh, (laughs) (laughs) grandmothers and singing Frank Sinatra back to you. You know, in uh, the draws throwing on the stage are you nervous do, do you get nervous night after night or no
2: yeah at first i was getting really nervous when I first started doing a gig um because i had this one solo and i had it was like um i had to like jump out of my chair and then you know from and then the spotlight would just shine right on me and i just like have to start playing the solo and I would get really lightheaded because I'd get nervous and, and then I'd jump up and like, you know, I just feel like I was going to pass out and <laughs> just trying to like, you know, <laughs> I'm just like getting nervous. Like now I'm going to pass out, fall off stage and then I'm going to get fired. Oh, this is going to be a nightmare. Um, so I kind of just like had to like mentally kind of like psych myself, you know, into the, into the moment. And um, the way I did that, was like, you know, I was like, I kind of like came to this realization that, um, you know, maybe... I was getting more, I mean, more nervous playing in these tiny little jazz clubs in New York than, than playing in this arena, you know, like jazz clubs in New York, playing at like the bar next door. And yeah, it's like 20 people, but they're all like right there there. And so half the people are amazing musicians and they're actually, they're listening to every note you set, every note you play. And um, that's like really nerve wracking, that sort of stuff. So when you put that sort of stuff in perspective, then you know, I started feeling a little bit more comfortable, um, in that other, you know, context, just, it's all mental, but yeah, performance anxiety. That's like, that, that's real, man. And everyone has it. If, you know, and my thing, the way I was trying to think of it is, uh, if I don't feel a little nervous and I'm not really kind of like really present and in it. And it's kind of like, it's a good thing to feel a little nervous because it means you're excited and, and really in the moment and everything. So I kind of had to like mentally psych myself out in in a way and then and then i got more comfortable
3: i remember when the first the first the first gig that i was on it was in florida 2019 or something like that and i had a solo on like the seventh song or something like that And literally we we went up on the on the stage and we were like and i was like holy fuck this is happening whether i like it or not like if i stand up are or not. The spotlight is still like gonna like come on. <laughs> I as well play. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, was like, I was like, all right, there's five songs. There's four songs. There's three songs. Holy shit. There's two songs. Oh my God. <laughs> like there's one song. Oh, dude, this is happening. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, I still get tremendously nervous when I have to stand up. Well, there was one yeah. story, there was one night that we were playing and the song before we have like a little choreography. And I remember Jacob next to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like right before my solo. Like 10 seconds before my solo, and Jacob like kicked up his berry and knocked over his stand and everything fell over. <laughs> and everything fell over and I just heard I just heard shit, fuck. And, and I turned to look and I see him like fumbling everything around. And I was like, I try, I was like laughing so hard and I was like, oh shit, like <laughs> So, wait. So, I need to know. So, you've been on the gig for 11 years. What is your favorite? Do you have a favorite memory that you could share with us that's maybe PG 13 or
0: below? (laughs) I want to hear the rated R. Don't (laughs) skip the PG
2: 13, bro. I don't know, man. What's so many, so many, so many good times, so many fun times. Not really sure. Oh, is there one thing? Was there a moment where you were like, holy shit, I made
3: it? Or like, just, you were just like, well, what am I doing right now? (laughs) Like, how did I do this?
2: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. That's a great question. I don't have to think about it. It Kind of put me on the spot there, but um, (laughs) there's a lot of, a lot of great moments. It's just, it's just awesome. Man, what is it? What is it like?
3: This is something that was hard for me to kind of like acclimate to is like being on the road for three weeks and living that life. And then all of a sudden, like. You get on a plane, you come home, and then it's like
0: normal life.
3: <laughs> how how yes. is, is, is that ever anything that like we got to
0: we got to get deep into this because we all experience this
2: shit. Come on, Jay. What you got for us? Jay? It's an adjustment. It's always an adjustment going back and forth like that, for sure.
0: Always come home and. You know, I start, I got to like do shit in the house, like wash dishes and wash my own clothes and f- make up the bed. I hate that because you're on a road, right? Somebody's cooking for you, someone's doing everything for you, hand and foot. And then you play and then everybody's telling you how great you are. They've never heard another musician as good as you. You know, your ego. And then you come home and like your family don't even care. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jake, <laughs> you know, like I told, I was on the phone with my mom and my cousin. And i and she asked me something about music. And I was like, yo, Google me. And she was like, if I put your name in Google, something's gonna come up. And I was like, what? Yes, <laughs> I'm famous. What you mean? <laughs> I was like, you know what I'm saying? I've been every, I've been all over the world. You know what I'm saying? Every continent. <laughs> up Antarctica. So I'm you. <laughs> so you come home, don't nobody care, man. Welcome home, Jay. Yeah, Darren. I mean,
2: you have you have a kid now, right? Yeah, man. She especially don't care. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, the older you get, the the list of like chores you have to do when you get home just gets longer and longer. So I can only imagine, you know, having the kid involved too. You know, you come back from the road, and then and then the work really starts. Right? There's no there's no downtime anymore. <laughs> yeah, your wife just hand you a baby. Here you go.
0: <laughs> but psych like psychologically though, that it's it's kind of a mind fuck though. Like you you come from a place where everybody. You, you, you're a king. And then all of a sudden, oof, you're just, you're just Jake <laughs> from state farm, you know?
2: You know, it's, it's such an interesting, um, like, uh, work life balance. And, you know, a lot of guys in the band have uh, families now, and, um, it's kind of cool to see how, how they navigate it. Cause it, it can be done as long as you are all on the same page and stuff like that. Cause when you get back home off the road, you're able to really just commit to the family. Right. In a way that if you were, you know, if you were just at home and and doing your Monday through Friday job would be, you know, that's a a whole different, unique set of challenges as far as schedule. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's gotta be kind of nice, right? When you get home off the road and you can say to your wife, like, I'm here hundred percent. Let me, let me take care of all this stuff now. Now, you know, take a break and relax and recharge your batteries and stuff like that. As long as you're on the same page. Right.
0: Yeah yeah as long as you're on the same page it's it's, it's work man i don't know i'm I'm always <laughs> i'll say the hardest time i ever had like a really difficult time coming home uh just getting a readjusted or acclimated to my home life and this is before i had a kid it was my first trip to japan and so you know you you've probably been to japan and you know in japan they they really they really gash you up man you're the greatest thing. I love you. Like they stand outside the club after you play and give you another standing ovation, you know. And then after a month of that, you come home feeling kind of, yeah, I'm a, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm a drummer. You saxophone players, y'all are a little more modest, but not us drummers, you know. <laughs> we got, we got our egos, man. My ego was pumped to like 10 billion, dog. And I came home and got deflated walking down the streets of Brooklyn, man. It was terrible. <laughs> But yeah, man. But but anyway, I guess we can get back to the to, to the bubbly gig, man. Being, being on this bubbly gig is a true opportunity, and and, and it is beautiful to see cats like you and Greg, uh, who who seem to be pretty level headed about it, even though you're like jazz rock stars, you know. It's it's just really on. Un- I mean, I, mean I, I knew Michael Bubbly. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Michael Bubbly. Fam was famous. But then I like YouTubed it and really paid attention after Greg got on the gig. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, people like jazz. It was so shocking to me. People actually like jazz. So what's wrong with the music that I play and all these other motherfuckers? What's wrong? Do you tell me that, Jake? What's wrong with the rest of the jazz? Why don't they like us?
2: I mean, you know, don't, don't discredit Michael. He is an amazing singer. He really is. No, that's what I'm. No, he's great. No, he is. I mean, you just want to talk about just just like from a jazz perspective, his his phrasing, you know, his his knowledge of the you know classic American songbook um, is like some of the some of the best I've I've ever encountered. It's really kind of kind of special. Um, he's he's singing like all of me in, in an arena and ten thousand people and everyone's knowing the lyrics and singing along, singing along to like Fly Me to the Moon and stuff like that. Um, but he's great. Um, you know greg we and i have talked a lot about this but his stage presence is unbelievable and i've learned i've learned so much from him just watching him interact with with the audience that um you know i'm still trying to i've learned so much from it i'm trying to be able to be better at that uh, you know in my own gigs and stuff like that so it's just Mike, basically, you just saying Mike is just better than most everybody
0: else. And that's why. And that's cool too. I get that. It's it's I'm just saying it's interesting to me that people really love his music. You know what I mean? And when I hear him sing some standards, and I'm just like, okay, cool. You know, that's fly me to the moon, dog. But you know, if these other motherfuckers play Fly Me to the Moon, people are sleeping. Like this, it's interesting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I I have a philosophy on this too.
3: I mean, to to every I agree with everything Jake said. Like Michael is one of the most fantastic artists and consistent people I've ever heard perform too. Which is like something I love about being the gig. Is again, like being a musician, being able to watch a musician do the gig is it's really a, a special opportunity. But you know, I get I got you know people who pay to see Michael play. They see him once every two or three years. I get to see Michael perform four times a week. And so that's, like, a really unique opportunity to see, like, again, like, what stays consistent from set to set, what changes set to set. But something that, like, in conversation and, like, watching Michael, like, work tunes and think about the set list or just kind of, like, try to make things better while we're rehearsing, he always says, he's always, like, he always says, I want the audience to like this. And he may – I feel like he makes all of his decisions – um from the perspective of what is going to be what 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 does my audience want and what can i do to make that the most enjoyable experience for them and i guess i don't know if you feel the same way or you had the same experience but like i feel like when we were growing when i was growing up i had this idea too like if we were if you were going to be an artist like the audience perspective didn't matter and if they didn't like your music it's because they were stupid and, you know, I'm not trying to play for stupid people anyways. So <laughs> I don't, I, that, that's something that I noticed about Michael. Like he always, he he really, really, really has this like, really, uh, he loves his audience and his audience loves him. I, I just appreciate that, that full circle respect that he has.
2: Yeah. Um, connecting to the audience is such a an important element of performing music, playing music, you know? And um, I think it's overlooked a lot with jazz musicians, but part of it is just, they're just not enough gigs. Like none of us get enough experience just playing gigs. And when I went first moved to new Orleans, that's what blew me away is that there were so many gigs and, you know, musicians down there were, you know, able to pay their bills, you know, support their families, all that stuff, just being a professional musician gigging, you know, every day. And that was so, so unique for that city. It kind of, opened up my eyes a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, just not, just not as many performance opportunities as there should be. And that's how you get, that's, you know, that's how you work on it. You know, if you're just constantly just playing sessions at people's apartments and stuff like that, uh, you're making all this music, but there's, you not, don't have enough opportunity to connect to an audience and, and share your music with an audience. Then you maybe forget how important that is to, to the moment.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: No,
2: absolutely, man. You nah. guys are great. You know, you guys have actually—I mean, just something I'm—I'm I'm terrible at. I would like to get better, but you guys are great at that. Now, with um, you know, with the internet, and you're able to kind of perform online. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it's not there, like in the same room, but you're you're consciously engaging an audience and performing um, for an audience. Uh, you trying to
0: say I'm acting? This is who I am, Jake. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, i with you. I and, I and I agree with you, man. I agree with you 100. But you know what helped me is living in New Orleans because in New Orleans you gotta, you gotta satisfy these tourists, baby. You gotta keep them drinking. You gotta make people happy, so you can't really play no esoteric, quote unquote, bullshit that people don't want to hear. You. I mean, I and I'll always tell my wife this: like, if I'm designing a set. I'm going to play one song just for me. It's just for me. I'm going to play whatever I want. But the rest of the set is going to be designed. So I take my audience on a journey. You know what I mean? And I try to, you know, I get them with whatever I want in the middle. And then I take them back down to hear, you know, some stuff that I know they're going to like. So it's important, man, for sure.
2: But I think that's also important for just just the musicality, just the straight up musicality of your set. Um, I don't think there's anything any negative connotation with actively engaging in, in your audience. I don't think that's like synonymous with selling out at all. If anything, I think it's being more true to your art. And ideally, I don't know. Last time I checked, people listen to music that they like, right?
1: Yeah.
0: There you go. It's matter. Speaking of music that we like, man, we, we, we've been having such a good time. We forgot to play your, one of your tunes. Let's, why don't we take this opportunity right now? And, um, let the people put their ears on Crosby Street. Mm-hmm. saxophone magic yo jake that's dope man beautiful man Who who's on that record man you should have had me on it but i'm not mad who who else is on
2: uh that that had uh fabian Almazan on piano joe martin on bass and marcus gilmore on drums damn
0: oh, okay never mind you yeah you, uh, you picked the right guy all right <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's like 10 years old by now i gotta do another album
0: yeah, you have to, man. I would, I would love that.
3: I mean, you know, it's funny as 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 this is crazy because I can actually talk to Darian in the same room because he's here. <laughs> but as, as we were listening to the track, I was like, man, fuck, Jake is like like my favorite tenor player. You know, I, and, you know, as, as a as a young man at Loyola and getting to meet you at the Monk Institute, I, I always really like, in all seriousness, like have really appreciated the opportunity to like just be in the same room as you and listen to you warm up or play some tunes and things like that because. Because you know you you're one of those those few cats that embody so much history, and again, like you you pay homage to the, the the lineage of the music while keeping it very modern and fresh and new at the same time, and and you know just just wanted to throw you compliments and thank you for just being a bad motherfucker.
2: I appreciate that, Greg. I mean, you're a good friend. You're a great musician yourself. I want to start taking clarinet lessons from you, man.
3: No, don't, no, no, don't, no, 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 <laughs> just leave that to me. Leave this to me. My my whole business plan in life has been like, no one plays clarinet. So
2: I got this. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I was, you no, know, I was ready to start taking some zoom clarinet lessons from you during a pandemic. That, that's how, that's how, you know, like, man, you know, you got too much time on your hands. You're trying to, man, now's the time to learn clarinet again, Now time to get this together. <laughs> but the whole, I, you know, I had neglected that horn for so long that it needed an overhaul. And I sent out this local guy and he took like like three months to overhaul the thing. And by the time I got it back, I was like, yeah, you got to move on. I moved on to something else. That ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know,
3: man, as I, I was asking Darian, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, like we, we all came up through, through again, like academia, like going again through the, the performing arts high schools, college programs and things of that sort. Are, are there some things, and so now you've been a musician working for the last 15 or so years, were there some things that like in school that maybe you didn't learn, but have learned over the last couple of years as a working musician that have like, that maybe surprised you or that has served you in a way that, that was unexpected?
2: Um, well, I mean, the whole music industry kind of has been changing drastically. You know, I mean, I I was getting my undergrad like 2000 to to 2004, when the whole like internet and streaming and all that sort of stuff um, took off. So, I think even the teachers were trying to navigate that that time. You know, so we're I don't think you know the you know we, you know you take a music business course and no one even knew what you know what was happening. Everyone was just like taking it day by day, trying to figure out this whole new like. Um, you know model for for a music business. So that was just like a crazy time. But um yeah a lot of it I mean just the just the professionalism of being of just working, you know you learn by by doing it. Um you guys grew up in New Orleans so you know, you guys had the opportunity to play when you were younger more probably more than um you know any other city in the world really. Well, I grew up in Mississippi, you know, I'm from,
0: but, but, but you're right about Greg and, and all these New Orleanians, they definitely had more opportunity to, you know, to get the playing together earlier, you know?
2: Oh, you didn't go to uh, Danoka, Darren? I keep forgetting. No, 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 no. Nope. Yeah,
0: yeah. I went to this other school, um, performing arts school, It's called uh, APEC, Academics and Performing Arts. I don't know if, I don't know if it's still there, but yeah. well, When did you move to New Orleans? Ooh, what year was that? I never remember the year. I, I left New Orleans in 2012. It was 2012? I think 2008 to somewhere in there.
3: But just for the <laughs> record, if anyone wants to go on YouTube, I'm pretty sure you could find like a high school recording of Darian playing watermelon. Matt. What are you playing?
0: <laughs> it's an elementary school recording. Yeah, <laughs> my first drum
2: solo. Do not look for that. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. <laughs> Uh, both you guys you know just being young and in in new orleans being able to perform regularly as you're kind of educating yourself at that age is just so great um and not a lot of people have that so yeah that's a completely different sort of experience just all of a sudden being a professional and performing and gigging regularly um there's just stuff you learn with that and you see that you know you see that even now like with some of the younger players that kind of get some really really nice gigs like um at an early age and you just see the exponential growth that they have because there's just you know just having the opportunity to play professionally on a regular basis with great musicians um is just just such an essential part of an education that's yeah absolutely that's why
0: you know i never understand uh you know, how they have uh, these people teaching in these jazz schools who ain't never played no gigs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would never go to a brain surgeon and be like, hey, man, I need you to, you know, get this tumor out of my brain. And he's like, okay, cool. But I ain't never, I ain't never, uh, I ain't never did it before, but I'm ready. I read about
2: it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best analogy. Nah, I mean, man, that's
0: what they yeah. do, man. That's what they do. Uh, the the hell,
2: like, I want is the guy that's just been in school for years and years and years and learn how to do that stuff in school i don't want the brain surgeons like yeah i've been gigging and you know just like gigging since i was young man just just doing brain surgeries down down on frenchman street <laughs> like, i don't need school man you know <laughs> school that's not how you that's not where you really learn how to do these surgeries
3: <laughs> i don't think i've ever i think i think you just put darren in his place
0: thank you <laughs> no 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 no. No no, no, no. He, no, no, no. he did it he did it though i'm gonna say this i, I what I think that you need both is what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't need school. I'm just saying that school it's alone isn't enough. So cool, go to school. If, it's, if it makes sense to go to school, go to school. Don't pay $100,000 for it, but go to school. But then you got to you gotta go out here and get some experience because if you ain't never played no gigs, then you ain't no musician. In my humble opinion, write me an email if you don't uh, agree. <laughs> I mean
2: that's a, that's a, a whole another topic of conversation. That
1: yeah, you
2: know, that's a rabbit hole. I don't know if we have time to go down, but oh, yeah, you man. bring up some really important points. The, the cost of a college education right now is crazy, and and you know, it's really something important that you need to think about.
1: Yeah, and yeah,
2: and then you know, teaching. Who's teaching? Like, yeah, you're right about that. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of people that are teaching never had any performance. You know, or not, you know, minimal performance experience. And if these are the people teaching you, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, there's a lot that uh, is important. So, yeah, cause it's like,
0: just cause you read about fucking, don't know me, you know how to fuck. You see what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. Well, on that note, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, it's been, it's been oh,
1: a beautiful,
0: it's been a beautiful evening.
3: And uh, Jake, I appreciate you for being here. Darian, you're fucking, you're done. <laughs> How long is this going for? Is this over?
1: How oh, 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 am I doing? <laughs> and,
3: and I'll be I'll be down at the Mason next week. Do a brain surgery on. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. I, think, I think that's it. So, on that note,
2: Miss Mays is where you get the, the cheap uh, surgeries, right? <laughs> so, say, my
3: auntie, my auntie's got knows a guy that does brain surgery. Let me let me hook you up, man. He's down
0: on Broad Street. <laughs> Hey Jake, man! Before you go, man, please, please uh, tell everybody that's listening to this where they can uh, connect with you and where they can buy your records and your albums and your um, sh- instructional uh, uh, pamphlets on brain surgery.
2: Yeah, um, I got. I mean, you can. People still buy albums. I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know where you buy albums anymore. I mean, yeah, you can listen to my album for free on Spotify. Oh, we never talked about that. Maybe for the better. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man.
3: (laughs) How about, hey, you know what, Jake, were you there when we were having that conversation about um, investing in Spotify versus putting your record on Spotify?
2: Oh, was I there for that? Yeah, I think it might've been.
3: Man, long long story short, if you bought bought $10,000 worth of Spotify at the all time low, which is about 106 bucks, Sold it at the all-time high, which was like three fifty-six. You would make, God, it was like the numbers are not in front of me, but it was like thirty-four thousand dollars. You, you would have your ten thousand dollar investment would have turned to thirty-four thousand. That's something like fourteen million streams on Spotify. So, anyways, that's that's. I did crunch the numbers five
2: months later. (laughs) but if you, I mean, if you spent ten thousand dollars, you know, self-producing a jazz record, then you'd be. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any money. You'd be broke. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah my bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, but
3: yeah, Jake, we really appreciate you um, taking time out of your day to um, come here on the Working Artists Project and share some of your experiences and knowledge. And you know, just again as a friend, I, I just tremendously have the utmost respect and admiration for you as a, a musician and a friend. And I appreciate all the things doors you've opened and. The lessons I've learned from you, both musically and in life. So, man, thank you so much, Jake.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Jake, we
0: appreciate you, man.
2: This was fun. I had a good time, man. I love what you guys are doing. It's it's great, positive vibes. I love it. I'm grateful to be a part of it. Beautiful, man.
0: All right, y'all. My name is Darian Douglas. And I'm Gregory Ajit. Y'all have a great night. Later.